Put down your pens, put down your pencil, step away from the keyboards, and settle in for this week's episode of The Writer's Block. Thank you first and foremost to Low Tide Kava Bar for the kava that I drink on this and every episode of The Writer's Block. Thank you to Muddied Waters Media for allowing me to do this show, and thank you to Don and Sally Wright for giving birth to me. Um, First of all, and also thank you to Justin for giving me this kava today. Bula. Today on my show, I have a very special guest. I have Mr. Remzo Martinez, who is here to talk about his book, Stay Away from the Libertarians. And truly, I think that's just the best advice possible, really, because it's just better to stay away from us. Remzo, thank you so much for coming on. Man, it's great to be here. Thank you again for inviting me on. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, We met at Yalcon, which I think many of my guests coming up, we met at Yalcon. Um, and... We talked, uh, you were working the Gun Owners of America booth? Yep. Yep. You were working the uh, Gun Owners of America booth, and we started talking, and I was like, yeah, this guy's got to come on. And then you offered me a copy of your book for free, which I'm always going to say, yeah, come on my show then. Well, I also offered you a beer, and that was a bad idea. Right. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Oops. <laughs> that, I mean, you didn't know, so it's totally fine. Um, <laughs> for anybody who doesn't know what he's referring to, I don't drink. I don't do anything anymore. It's it's like it's like. Have you ever had Mormons come to your door to try and convert you? Yes. You want them to freak out? Offer them a Coke. Yeah. Because the Mormons own Coca Cola. They don't drink that crap. No, they will not drink it. No. Uh, so funny story. Before we get into your book, <laughs> years ago, before I was sober, many years before I was sober, uh, I was sitting at home 
and my roommate was gone. I think he was at work. I don't really remember. And I was getting ready to get high. And I get a knock on the door. And I was like, oh, I wonder who that is. You know, I'm thinking maybe it's somebody who was coming over to procure something. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I answer the door, and it's this group of Mormons. And I was like, oh, I really don't want to talk to these people. So I figured the best way to get them to go away, which I'm going to preface this, is not, uh, was to tell them I was Mormon and they didn't need to waste their time on me. <laughs> And so then they had plenty of more questions. And so I was answering them apparently to their approval, which I thought was weird since I didn't know anything about Mormonism. And I said, well, guys, I need to get to work. But how about you come over tomorrow at 430? Because I had to be at work at four and I knew my roommate would be there. And they said, OK, sounds great. And I was like, yeah, we'll, we'll get together and we'll worship together and all that. And he's like, OK, sound, sounds fantastic. So. I can, I went, they left and I went on and continued to get high, which was, you know, what I did. (laughs) And between that moment and the next day when somebody called and asked if they could have my shift, I had completely forgotten about the Mormons. So. (laughs) Oh, they're going to learn you're not a brother, huh? Real quick. Mm. So I'm sitting there, my roommate and I are at the house and we are blasting, I think it was Limp Biscuit at like all the way up like that those speakers were to 11 and there is no denying we are home and we're playing foosball stoned out of our minds and there's a knock on the door and both of them just pause and he goes to answer it and for some reason i was 100 percent terrified to answer the door because i realized who it was and i looked at him i grabbed him and i'm like no and he's like what and i was like it's the Mormons. (laughs) And I sprint to the back of the apartment and we hide under the bed and he's running and he's just like, I don't know why we're hiding from the Mormons, but we are. And we dive and then like, we just hear, hear, hearing them knock, hearing them knock over, you know, the sound of, name of Limp Biscuit song. I can't, uh, Nookie. For the millennials listening, Limp Biscuit was the Nickelback of the 90s. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, uh, Had to help guide them along. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I, I forget that not everybody knows about that terrible band. <laughs> and he's like, you know, they know we're here. And I'm like, I'm not answering the door. <laughs> I don't want to talk about Mormonism. <laughs> and eventually they stopped... <laughs> They stopped knocking and ringing the doorbell and they left. And then we continued to play our game of foosball and get high. And anytime anybody talks about the Mormons in my head, I go, it's the Mormons. <laughs> Don't answer the door. <laughs> that, that, it's, it's really funny. And it's very serendipitous because people say, stay away from the libertarians. But the difference is it's better to associate with the Mormons and become a Mormon than associate with the libertarians and become a libertarian. Because if you become a Mormon, you're most likely going to become very, very wealthy. Probably. And you're probably. And from what I under, like from my experiences, anyway, most of the Mormons I know are really, really nice. And most of the libertarians I know are not. Yeah. And you know, they, 
the Mormons have this, you know, kind of pushy stereotype of constantly trying to convert people. But the Mormons I've met, you know, part of me wishes they would try and convert me because I've seen what they do sometimes. They butter you up. They introduce you to all these beautiful Mormon women who become one of your six brides. And then you can go ahead and, you know, get free food out of it. The ones I've met, they've just been like, yeah, we don't think you're, uh, we don't think you, you're cut out for Mormonism. And I'm like, <gasps> well, that's just, that's <laughs> When I went to um, I went to my own personal hell, a bachelor party in New Orleans last year. So I'm like three years sober at this point. That, that sounds like a bad story just at the beginning. Oh, man, it was it was rough. Like I love I love all of the guys I went with, good friends with all of them. We used to get wasted together all the time, and I still love them all very very much, and consider them to be very good friends. But going to a bachelor party was just about the peak level of. I'm done with you people. Like I was ready to leave people in new Orleans. At one point I had to grab the groom and be like, no, you're done doing drugs and drinking. We're going home. <laughs> and he was like, but I want to no, no, stop. But we went out to, uh, we went out to breakfast or lunch. I don't know. It was brunch time, which may have been 2 PM. I don't even remember. And we had this bartender who was Mormon. What? Yeah. <laughs> a Mormon bartender. Dude, How does that happen? I don't know. He doesn't drink. Or no, he did. I think he was, he had kind of fallen off because he was talking about... Uh, oh, so he's a bad brother. Yeah, he's a bad brother. Mm. But he was talking about going to like bachelor parties and birthday parties back in Utah, of course. And... <laughs> And he uh, was saying, "Yeah, what well, we would a uh, beer bong, we would get a beer bong, and we would beer bong Mountain Dew on the bachelor parties, because that's as that's as far as we would go." <laughs> and I was like, "What?" And he goes, "Yeah, I mean, we can't drink, and we're not really supposed to drink soda, but it's like it's a bachelor party, so we can do that." Even the Amish go more hardcore right. than that. <laughs> But that dude was the funniest guy I have ever met in my life, and I wish I could remember his name right now. Because <laughs> if you're ever in New Orleans, I would recommend the bar and find him and just talk to him for like 20 minutes. I, yeah, I as, I, as I'm stooping around the French Quarter. <laughs> hey, hey, where's where the, the Mormon serving people? <laughs> where's the Mormon bartender? <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, that was that was a good time. Uh, he was the he was the best part of that trip, I believe. <laughs> Anyway, let's uh, let's get on to you instead of talking about my life. Uh, stay away from the libertarians. One first, uh, the artwork that you've got on this, fantastic. Love the artwork. Um, that was who was that? I will never know. Really? Because I hired a random Eastern European contractor online with a fake uh, name and paid her in Bitcoin. Nice. Yeah, I wanted to be a super uber libertarian as i could so nothing's like paying an anonymous artist from eastern europe in a cryptocurrency that's most likely linked to russian propaganda hey you know if anything you help donald trump get elected if anything <laughs> i mean america great again right <laughs> you're welcome world <laughs> democrats everywhere's heads are just going I'm going to walk out of the house and people are going to do what they usually do. Wave at me if all five fingers are just one. Right. Yeah, it's either going to be, it's going to be, hey, what's up, neighbor? Or it's going to give you just one of the big old middle ones. <laughs> one of the super fingers. Uh, for a Dane Cook reference for all you people who had no sense of humor in the early 2000s. Uh, 
Um, I got. If you know who Limp Biscuit is, you should know who that you is. Probably know who Dane <laughs> Cook is if you know who Limp Biscuit is. Uh, yeah, that's true because they are both mediocre in both of their fields. Um, but strangely, we love them. Yeah, oddly we enough, both why. of them just shot right to the top really quickly. Um, <laughs> and like most of our life's aspirations, it just continued to go down and down. Oh my gosh, it crashed. And you just wonder how it happened. Right. I mean, Dan Cook, granted, his brother stole like millions from him and he just couldn't get the humor back, I guess. I don't know. He, he was a bit of a dick, too. He was a bit of a dick. And I mean, yeah. Fred Durst is a bit of a dick as well. So it kind of just makes sense. Which, Which is, is why no one feels bad for them now. No, not even a little bit. Not, not really. Not even a little bit. No. No. Anyway, on to your book. <laughs> yeah, so no, I uh, I, uh, I didn't do the cover, but I did provide the, the concept for the cover. And what, when I was conversing with this contractor, the one thing I told her was, you know, this is a, it's a comedic book. It's a peep. Originally, I was going to have it just in the political science current events section, but people kept saying, no, Remso, this is political humor. We can't take you seriously enough throughout it, which I took as an insult at the time. Now I see it's more of my pitch, but put it there. And as I was discussing what I wanted to do with the cover, I was like, you know, I'm really uh, a lot of a lot of my, uh, you know, big cultural crutches are on a 1950s B-rated sci-fi pop art yeah so i was thinking with the name stay away from the libertarians i was just thinking of orson wells how how would he say it and he would be something like stay away from the libertarians dun, dun, dun. and then you see a giant like gary johnson come out but i couldn't put gary johnson on the cover because i don't want to get sued right. so i was just like something gary johnson-esque and uh that's how the cover so came went, to me went with a frankenstein sort of picture it looks like him look at it now and tell me you don't now see gary johnson i mean i i i'm not gonna lie i kind of can see a little bit of gary in this i also gave her a photo of uh bill weld and that's where he got the sandy hair you see now i just ruined it for you didn't i yeah a little bit a little bit like but I now just... you appreciate it more oh, behind so... the scenes folks <laughs> So so much more. Like I can see so much more of Bill Weldon this than I can Gary Johnson. <laughs> the alcoholic nose just right. really coming out at right. you. The, the drunken the, stupor. You got the puffy face from just drinking way too much and stumbling it's all the, over. The you place. know, I, people um, people ask, you know, does the does the Frankenstein monster have um, a name? And I've just been saying Gil for Gary and Bill Gary because and that's Bill. their love child. It says it's a libertarian, but it just comes out an abomination. But I mean, it almost looks like you did a. Uh, it almost looks like you did a shot at Trump because you gave him very big hands. Well, you know, as every uh, um, Universal Monsters fan knows, Frankenstein's full body is in full proportion. Right. So take that as you will. Right. <laughs> uh, well, good for him. I mean, big hands. Big hands. Big feet. Big feet. Big hands. Big gloves. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, Lar- large uh, cuffs on the sleeves. Yeah. yeah, but but that was uh, that was. I mean, it, the the artwork. I mean, it has a lot of symbology that I tried to put behind it. Maybe a lot more than most people would have. But you know, the whole book is about combating libertarian stereotypes, and the cover. I really want to convey that because you know people have this monstrous you know, horrific idea of what libertarians are, and that's the that's the metaphor of the monster. And then you have the two people that are just, you know, your good old 
Tom and Jane, America, Americana type of folks, pay their taxes, love the government, all that stuff, think Dick Cheney was God's gift to Earth, and they're just running away from this thing because they've been told to stay away from it. And then when they look back, what do they see? They see nothing but memes, taxation is theft, and when they ask why... You know, when people ask them, why don't you take libertarians seriously, they're just like, well, you don't know where Aleppo is. And I'm like, neither did 99% of yeah, America. I was going to say, mo most of America yeah. didn't know where Aleppo is. Um, yeah. Most of the people didn't know what Aleppo is, much like... There's a Syria? What's going on there in the year 2016? <laughs> right. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, I was actually... So I was in the Philadelphia airport, and I was reading your book, because airport... Um, and I was getting a little bit distracted by CNN as they were going on and on about why Donald Trump didn't thank John McCain, which I thought, why? Okay, why? Why did you think they would? Um, but some guy that was sitting across from me, he just went, excuse me, can I ask you a question? I was like, yeah, what's up? Mm -hmm. That book, what's it about? And I said, oh, it's about staying away from libertarians. <laughs> uh, it's about this guy that I know who, it's a, his journey becoming a libertarian. Um, and why you should stay away from them. And he's, oh, what's his name? So I can write it down. I want to get it for my son. And I said, oh, is your son a libertarian? He goes, not yet, but I'm afraid. <laughs> Wait till he, his son is done reading the book and he's going to be like, I think I just saved my son's soul. And then his son's going to look at him and be like, dad, I hate the roads. <laughs> dad, I really think we need. What to have I done? <laughs> We need to end the Fed. His dad we knocks on his door. Do you have a warrant? <laughs> <laughs> what have I done? What, I what have I said, done? It said stay away from them. It said stay away from the libertarians. These, these, these damn libertarians, they got me again. <laughs> uh, yes! <laughs> Uh, it worked. <laughs> and when he said that, I went, "Oh yeah, he should definitely read this book." Because <laughs> I was like, "Because like I told you, like I'm a slow reader, so I actually didn't finish the book." I was like, "I don't know how this ends." I'm assuming he's a libertarian because he was at Yalcon, but I'm not telling this guy that. <laughs> I've gotten up, to, like I've gotten through to the point where you were like Mitt Romney's worst <laughs> volunteer, and you ran for the Young Conservatives Group president. And uh, I was just kind of like, he's talking a lot about Romney. So, yeah, no, this guy, definitely not. Uh -uh. You, you should get this for your kid. <laughs> One minute you think you're saving your child. The next minute you just created another another ANCAP out there. Dad, I need $1,000 to start a podcast. <laughs> what did you do with my 401k? It's all right. It's in Bitcoin. It's, it's much more stable. It's, it's not fiat. It's, 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 uh, it's going to be going up again soon. <laughs> Just hodl, Dad. Just We're hodl, going to man. the moon. What uh, the hell hippie commie talk are you talking about? But, you know, it's it's ironic you say that because this story, I mean, it really does play into the, the title of the book, you know, Stay Away from the Libertarians. It is actually inspired by a meme. It's of this uh, mother and child. They're walking down the street and the, the son points uh, 
you know, somewhere across from him. He's like, look, mommy, libertarians. And then you see the next panel zone in, zones in on the mother's face. And she's like, no, Ricky, don't look at them. I don't want you to be influenced by their, oh, my God. And then the third panel is she's like, oh, my God, Ricky. She's screaming because the kid who looked normal in the first panel, in the third one, he's wearing, like, a Rothbard bow tie, and he has the whole ANCAP, anarchy ball face, and he's wearing a and the Fed Ron Paul t-shirt, and he's like, taxation he's is theft. theft. And the fed no no um no victim no crime it's too late mother i've seen everything and when i first saw that meme like i i I basically pissed myself a little bit because that's their that that meme is my mother and myself so i tagged her in the photo and she was like yep ever since you started reading just went downhill we should have never taught you to read (laughs) and uh so from your book what i gathered is that uh you were i mean you grew up conservative household correct very yeah Very, yeah okay and then uh you started a teacher gave you a list of books to not read and since you much like many others that become libertarian much like myself you're like well why shouldn't i read these and he goes oh don't read those they're they're crazy people don't read them and you're like well no screw you i'm gonna read these so you ended up reading like Anne rand <laughs> immediately that's, that's like the the, the black tar heroine of libertarian indoctrination because i think before you can understand libertarianism and uh one one thing i do mention in the book is you know a lot of people come to libertarianism through ron paul as much as i make fun of gary johnson i came to libertarianism because of gary johnson right the first time i heard libertarian i thought he just mispronounced librarian but um you know the, the reason why i didn't really get ron paul at the time was because as a young kid in high school there were just a lot of concepts that i just was not grasping and as i'm hearing him speak these blasphemies i'm like i have no like why is this guy on stage he'll never be president i like that gary johnson guy back when he was running for the republican nomination because i'm like this guy's very practical and sounds very utilitarian but you know the greatest lines in any presidential debate came from gary johnson Oh, my dog has created more shovel-ready jobs than the Obama administration. I love that. I, I love that. And that's that's the first time I really heard of him. And then the next time I heard of him, he was on WMAL here in Virginia. It's a Beltway radio station. a.m. for you in Virginia. Or 105.9, yeah. I believe. 105.9, WMAL. Yeah. But um, I... I heard about him, and you know the thing about it was libertarianism. It just sounded more practical in the utilitarian sense. And I think I've always taken myself as a pretty literal person. You know what makes the most sense practically must be the right answer. But with Rand, I mean, she really did uh, make me question like all my values. I mean, you read you meet, you read Ayn Rand, it's like going through a Spartan race of everything: spirituality ethics philosophy economics you know just everyday situations so i came out of uh reading the fountainhead i went over to atlas shrugged and anthem and we the living and virtues of capital uh virtues of selfishness and capitalism and everything else and it just like it it completely changed who i was down to the core and there i started really tripping into everything else of libertarianism uh hayek mises rothbard the list goes on but you know he just kept he gave me that list of books not to read he also gave me a book of lists to read and he he, he really liked seabiscuit i hate seabiscuit i think it was a terrible book um, I, I never read story. it and i thought the movie was kind of boring yeah like seabiscuit was boring as hell people would say they really loved it they're they're lying they're evil hipsters the one book he did tell me to read which is really funny because it's a very anti-communist book but he loved the soviet union was uh, dr Zhivago, and i love that book this is the only book he told me to read 
which I did read, and I love Dr. Zhivago. If you want to be a good human being, read Dr. Zhivago. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, it, it was one of those situations where it was like, I could take his advice or I could do the opposite. Right. And, you know, as a teenager, you know, I grew up in a, in a military household, conservative Christian family. Uh, you know, you, you just didn't do what the adults told you not to do. And I still really believe in obedience and things like that to family and your elders. But I got to a point in high school where I was just like, you know what? I can't stand these people. They don't have my best interests at heart. Why am I going to listen to their advice? They, they don't care about me. They don't. Like, yeah. they don't care about me. No, not, not, even, not even a little bit. Um... What was I going to say? Uh, actually, I just, before I read this, I finished reading Anthem uh, by Ayn Rand. And that book, I got so much. Like, I love that book so much. I wanted to get the bracelet of equality to seven, two, five, two, one, whatever, whatever the numbers are. I wanted to get that tat. I wanted to get the bracelet tattooed on my left wrist. <laughs> I was just like, oh, my God, I love this so much. And the guy that does my tattoos was like, think about that for a couple of days. It's probably good you didn't you didn't get that one, but um, yeah, no. Anthem is one of those books where it, it's not my favorite Rand novel, but I usually tell people to read that one first because that is the original dystopian book. But it's also the one that really does show you what happens when you take away the concept of I. Because when I read it the first time, I was like, this is pretty crazy. Like, why, why doesn't anyone say I? And then you learn why they don't say I. Right. Why is it they don't talk about themselves positively? And no, it's like, oh, that's why they don't we. do it. Everything's a we. We, we are not allowed to write. Uh, We're not allowed to write thoughts that not everybody has. We are not allowed to write anything down that is not shared with everybody. Like, we are breaking the law. And I was just like, what? We? Well, it's really trippy stuff and then once you figure it out it's like holy crap this yeah. is some deep stuff yeah that book was that book it was so good and so well written and one of it's not one of my favorite uh it's not one of my favorite books i've ever read but it it did fill me with just like this amount of just yes like i was just so excited as i was reading it yeah, the the one word I use to describe Anthem versus the others is uh, is haunting, and it's that that means a lot of things. But because it's, it has such a profound story and a profound message that it stays with you. And I uh, I, I read it in high school, but a few years ago I got the audiobook version for a long road trip. And when you really kind of hear it, and this time you're processing it differently, you're like, holy crap! Like this is. This makes you want to pound your chest and go take on the world. Have you, uh, did you see that the Atlas Society is doing the short the graphic, graphic novel? Well, they're doing uh, the video version of the graphic the, novel. Yeah, the, the motion comic. Yeah, the motion yeah. comic. Yeah, so episode two, I got an email about like today, I think. Yeah, no, if you guys have not picked up your copy of the Atlas Shrug graphic novel, do that, and then go see the Motion comic, which is at the Atlas Society on Facebook and Young Americans for Liberty on Facebook. And uh, it's like, it's one of those books, it's a short read, like, you know, people complain about Atlas Shrug, the fact that it's, uh, you know, it takes like six years to read slowly, but, you know, Anthem, you can get through it in like an hour and a half at most. Yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's an easy read. Uh, well, it's not an easy read, but it's a quick read. Like there's a lot that you're taking in, in this short period of time. But, and so I'm a slow reader, like I told you. Uh, so it took me like two days to read it, which for me, that's fantastic to finish a book in two days. Um, even one as small as that one. 
because uh, you know I'm I'm that guy that like I'll pick up a book and I'll be like reading it and then somebody will text me and I'll get distracted by that and like I've got ADHD to the to the worst degree uh, when it comes to reading. I, if I'm watching TV, I'll ignore my phone all day long. But if I'm reading, it's just like any sound. I'm like, what, what, <laughs> what? Um, but uh, yeah, uh, the anthem I truly loved. Uh, what else? Oh crap! I knew I should have highlighted the parts of your book I wanted to talk to you about. Um, so, when you were in high school, I'm guessing. <laughs> And don't take this the wrong way, because I don't think many of us were. Uh, I'm guessing you weren't one of the most popular kids. Why the hell? No, yeah, I was, I was, I was not very likable. <laughs> I wasn't even ignored. Like, honestly, I look back at high school, I'm like, I wish they had just ignored me. No, I just was not likable. <laughs> like, and I look back, and I'm like, oh, I wish they had been nicer to me. And I'm like, no, I, I purposely tried to get in the conflicts with people and stuff. And, you know, I, I was... I don't want people to think that I was a bully in any sense, but I was a person where it's like, you know, I'm already this nerdy, geeky kid. Um, I've got a weird name, and I'm still the new guy through graduation. I might as well be confrontational for things, because everyone here is just, you know, smoking the, the communal commie pipe, and I'm just like, this is, I, I might I might as well get some kicks out of it, because, you know, I'm, uh, I, love, I love to, you know, pull a fast one on people. I love to mess around. I've got a pretty self-deprecating sense of humor. Sometimes I really kind of push the limit with things, and I'm like, oh, I probably shouldn't have said that, but that was funny at the time. And uh, in school, I mean, it was, it was really one of those opportunities in my life where i really got to see what happens when you take the i out of i right and that's where you know as i read anthem in high school like everything around me kind of terrified me because i had been um you know moving around almost every year since like second grade i've been homeschooled private schooled public schooled in you know interchangeably like one year i'm this one year i'm that one minute i'm teaching myself everything the next minute i'm stuck in a class for eight hours a day and you really begin to uh you know it's not that you grow up faster but you take more responsibility for yourself because you're you know you're out in the real world throughout the day you get to encounter different people and everything and you know you become a functioning member of society in high school, you know, I don't like the age segregation. I think what that does is that creates a balkanization of generations that doesn't get people to work amongst each other. Um, I think it stunts personal de development and the way we interact with one another. And it's just like it's the closest thing to prison that most people that don't go to prison will probably ever encounter in life. In prison, you get to encounter more people that are different than you than in public school. Yeah. So, you know, there's the good thing about prison. But... Um, I mean, high school, the, the biggest problem with me was I, I was bored. I was bored all the time. All the time. Be I get that. I was bored all the time. I felt like nobody ever wanted to, uh, you know, draw outside the line. And, you know, the, the thing that I always hate, I didn't include this in the book, but one of my least favorite classes, which was also one of my favorite classes, was art class because I like to create things. What I hated was when I was told, oh, that's wrong. And I'm like, no, this is the way I like doing it. And then when it came to, um, you know, politics, of course, I mean, I was, uh, I was in school during the, the era of good feelings under Obama. If you said anything about Obama, you were instantly uh, racist and everything else. I mean, yeah, it was could, very, it was that very today. yeah. That could still be today where... If you you're, say, you're still a racist, oh, but yeah, back 100%. then it was like, you're going to the principal's office now. 
These days, it's like, yeah, shut up and let's move on to class. Back then, it was like, we're calling the cops. <laughs> I got I got pulled into the principal's office so much for saying things that uh, disturb students. Things like, I believe the family is the most important foundation of society. And then people are like, yeah, but what about the village? And I'm like, what? what? They're like, well, but the village that raises the children. I'm like, the village is full of idiots. Right. Why would I want them raising my child? I, d I don't want the village raising my child. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, that's why the village is burning itself down. <laughs> and they're like, that's hate speech. I'm just like, oh, I guess I'm going to principal's office again. I mean, it was it, it was one of those times in my life where, you know, I wasn't even, I wouldn't, I would call myself a conservative, but, you know, no one teaches you what conservatism is. Mm -mm. Um, unless you come from a conservative family, you're not going to learn it in school. You're definitely not going to get it on TV. So, in my mind, being a conservative is just being a contrarian. And then... I learned what it meant to be a conservative, because I'm like, wow, this is still kind of crappy. So I guess I'm just nowhere. And then that's where I hear about this Gary Johnson guy and everything else. I was like, ah, oh, this is this is making a little bit of sense. Yeah. So yeah. I um, in 2012, I was living in Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah, in Nashville, Tennessee, and uh. I was working at this restaurant. Um, it was a pizza place on 12 South for anybody who lives in Nashville. You probably know which one I'm talking about. Um, That's where I used to go party when I went to college in Alabama. Really? Oh, yeah, 2013-24 chain. I, I love Nashville so much I had to leave. Um, <laughs> That's a good excuse. Yeah. Uh, Nashville's a great time. I, I still go back every, I go back like twice a year and I have a great time, but now I do it sober. So it's not as much fun as I remember it. And all of my friends get real annoying right around midnight. Um, and I'm just like, okay guys, I'm out. See you. Like I always drive separate now, but, uh, one of my bosses there was a, he was staunch libertarian and he and I got, we became really good friends because we both love the Red Sox. And so we would talk about baseball a lot. Okay, then, the interview's over. Oh, God, you're not. You, you, Say it! You're from D.C. And? How are you? You gotta rep the home team. Where were you born? Arizona. Arizona. I'm a Cardinals fan for life. Oh. Oh, okay. Well. Yeah, so the, the feed's, feed's not, not there, there, but it's there. <laughs> I was like, I was like, <laughs> As you were saying, my bad. It had been 86 years. Leave us alone. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have had more than us. <laughs> I was like, oh, God, is he a Yankee fan? I will end this interview right now. <laughs> um, I, man, that I, I was real worried for a minute. I was like, oh, God. I brought a Yankee yeah, fan. Yeah, this got this. very contentious. This really not quick. This happened. <laughs> Um, you saw this, <laughs> but yeah, we, uh, so we started talking Red Sox stuff and then we started talking politics and like, I knew that I was a libertarian in mindset, but I wasn't like full fledged. And then we started talking more and more and he had me hanging out with the group Liberty on the rocks. Um, so I was hanging out with them a little bit. And even though I was like, these people are all nuts, uh, Every one of them, they're kind of crazy, and they all kind of look a little, what's the word? Crackhead. Thank you. Um, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. 
Uh, I call them the Lord of the Rings, the golems. <laughs> um, but some are really short. Some look like elves because of car accidents, right. and others are just trippy because they hear voices in their head. Yeah, exactly. And uh, they're all very pale because they spend a lot of time inside. Um, so I was just kind of like, okay, this is weird, but they, the conversations we had were good conversations. And I was like, okay, well, I can put up with this. And then slowly I started realizing, oh, I'm definitely not a Republican. I am definitely a conservative or definitely a libertarian. And so he kind of brought me into all of that. And then when I left Nashville and I came here to Florida, I started working with the Libertarian Party of Pinellas County. And then after that, it was over. Like there's no bringing me back from the, the Republicans keep, they keep trying with great people that I like and respect, but I don't, it would take way too much for me to ever say, no, no, I'm a Republican ever again. Don't think, don't think there's anybody out there that could get me to say it. Cause you're going to have 48 other people in the Senate that I just, no, I can't do it. Yeah, I, I'm at the point in my life where, you know, I, I would never call myself a Republican. Now I am a Republican, and people are like, Remso, you, you're against everything you said you were against. And I'm like, yeah, but what does Republican mean? Right. It means nothing. It, it's, so why? It's, it's a series of ideals that you make promises for that you don't actually intend to keep. Yeah, but like I, I tell people this all the time, and I, you know, it's part, it's part intentional, it's part ag- antagonizing, part truth. But like, I'm a better Republican than your most staunch Republican. Right. Like I am. Like you know, it, you know, words have meaning, huh? I abide by everything: free markets, civil liberties, limited government, Bill of Rights. It's everyone else that sucks. And that's the way that yeah. I, I mean, that's the way that I look at it is. I care about the Bill of Rights so much. Like it, all ten of those amendments are the only real laws I think we have. Yeah, and and besides, when I get you know all these old party hands and you know boomer boomer conservatives come at me, I'm like, listen, it's not my fault the conservatives destroyed the Republican Party, and then they're just like, what did he just say? I'm like, listen, we were a Liberty Party, you know, freeing the slaves. Going up against unconstitutional war, protecting our Bill of Rights. It's you guys who suck. Yep. And then they're like, what the hell? And I'm like, listen. You guys started to want to put your values on everybody <laughs> as opposed to just letting people be. You didn't just give us one bush. You gave us two. <laughs> what did we give you? Reagan, Barry Goldwater, Ron Rand, Mike, Ted, the other Mike. I mean, Justin, they, I mean, the list goes on. Like, we're doing good. It's the rest of y'all that need to get in line. They and then us, they just look, they're just like, they want to take a cyanide pill. They gave us 14 years of Nixon in the White House. <laughs> Eight years as VP and it's five and a half or whatever it was as president. <laughs> Very and, short, but still too damn long. Right. I mean, and then we ended up with Ford, which, I mean, that's just, that was entertaining, I guess, at, at the very least. It's like the intermission of a theater play <laughs> or something. So like, is it? Is, are we back to the real president now? Right. Are, are you going to run or no? Oh, you bring are. back Agnew. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't he in jail at the time? He was, but he was still more likable than Ford. <laughs> I think Ford p- possibly had a chance of winning re-election if he didn't pardon Nixon. Probably. 
I mean, he was going up against Jimmy Carter, who, even though Jimmy Carter gets a bad rap in today's society, uh, because he deregulated a lot. So I'll give him that. His foreign policy. I would. Awful. I would trust. I would trust Carter to watch my house and feed my dog. I would trust Carter to build my house. Yeah, I would not trust him to build a functioning economy or protect a country. <laughs> no. No. It's like no, no, your limit, Jim. No, no, your, no, your, no, your uh, limit, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I would, I would trust him on uh, which peanuts to buy. I bet he's got some good insight into uh, the best peanuts on the market. Yeah, like of all the presidents, like Carter's probably just always, always been, and always will be the most likable. But, but he'll always be the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you have to be really bad to beat Jimmy Carter's presidency. <laughs> you almost have to intentionally start another civil war or something. Or just be Bush or Obama. <laughs> like, you have to try. You really have to try. It's like, wow, if we try hard enough, we could be terrible. <laughs> yeah, essentially, you have to go, okay, the country seems like we're kind of together right now. Let's put a wedge in that and just spend the next 16 years driving that wedge even deeper with every single thing that we do and split it so far apart. But the great part is we'll blame the guy after that. Oh, there you go. That's all you need. <laughs> uh, um, so libertarians are kind of all over the place on Trump. So Muhammad, my co-host, uh, as you know, uh, was recently on Fox News. Uh, allegedly acting as a Trump supporter. Uh, not what he said, granted, but that's what the headline rate reads, so we're going to go with it. Um, so where are you on the uh, God Emperor Trump? Screw it. He's the best president of my lifetime. Okay. No, like, like you know, we compare him to everyone else. I, I'm I'm 23, so I don't have much of a pool to select from. But right, the ones that Clinton, Clinton, Bush, Obama, and him, right? Yeah, like uh, of those guys, like Trump is the best. And Trump, uh, I was a I was a big Never Trump guy at the beginning, but you know, I I'm a big actions person, and I'm willing to be wrong if that means. Being wrong means that things are good because if I'm right, then that means that we're about to hit a nuclear apocalypse. But I mean, you know, I think I think people I, I think people who are who want to hate Trump will always find a reason to hate him. People that love Trump will always find a reason to love Trump. I'm a pretty selfish person, so my biggest thing is what is best for me. What's best for me is that we have a good guy and. Judge Neil Gorsuch on the Supreme Court. Yes. We've got guys like Ben Carson at HUD and Rick Perry at Department of Energy and uh, rest in peace, Scott Pruitt at EPA. Like, we've got, we've got good people. And Trump has made some things where I've just been like, dude, why the hell are you doing that? And then he's done some things where it's like, wow, this is really good. But, you know, you look at what the guy has lost. Like, he's lost a ton of his net worth. He's, I mean, let, let's be honest. The stuff that goes on with the media and with our, you know, Hollywood culture and everything else, it bugs him. Like, he's a human at the end of the day. Like, you don't go through all of that just because you want to screw people over. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But he's done more good for the country 
than most presidents in U.S. history. I mean, you know, these Democrats, they're like, oh, he's a racist. And I'm like, oh, is he so racist that he's going to stick people in a concentration camp like your hero, FDR? Is he throwing people into uh, prison uh, unconstitutionally just because they go against him like Lincoln? No. Yeah, well, I mean, even, like, you know, people forget about the guy from the Innocence of Islam video who supposedly started the Benghazi attacks. Like, that guy got his writ of habeas corpus suspended and everything else. Like, you know, all these people who are like, Trump is a fascist. I'm like, show, show, so show me. Right. Show, show, show me. One thing that he has done that makes him a fascist. The only people that are literally enforcing, and I, let's call it as it is, because there, I've seen the segregated water fountains and the safe spaces at college campuses like at the University of Virginia where they have uh, they, no whites safe spaces and stuff. I know about but, that, but do they really have segregated water fountains somewhere? I think it was Mizzou or something. They have area water fountain. I'm like, oh my god, you guys are bringing back segregation. Like right, you freaking right. suck. Like, in, in the like state the Dem- that they were yeah. fighting against it so hard. They weren't fighting against it. The Democratic Party was or the party that created the Jim Crow laws and everything right, else. I lived in Alabama for several years. Most of the Democrats there still wish they were segregation. <laughs> right, but wasn't that where uh, the high school was where they did the protest outside? That was, was Little that Rock, Rock, Arkansas. Oh, that was oh, was that Arkansas? Yeah, okay, yeah, that was my Arkansas. Bad. My bad. And, um, yeah, like, like Trump has done bad things. I don't like uh, the fact that John Bolton is in the White House lurking around and stuff. But, you know, like, he's done some amazing things. Our economy is better. He's, uh, he, he's been actually enforcing good diplomacy. I mean, he's got Rand Paul in his court. You know, I've, I've been dealing with some, uh, you know, I've been dealing with understanding how the terrible medical insurance you know apparatus works because of some stuff in my life and he's freeing up uh, you know the markets to go ahead and get insurance across state borders and stuff like he's done a lot of good i'm willing to take the good and the bad because overall like you know is he screwing our nation over i don't think he is i didn't vote for him in 2016 he's not a libertarian i'll probably vote for him in 2020 because the question is have things gotten better do i think they'll get better i actually do think they'll get better so there's that. Now that people that are not going to buy my book because of that. <laughs> uh, Reagan, back in 1984, his entire uh, campaign was, are you better off than you were four years ago? And that was his entire ad campaign, which obviously that was, who was that? I remember, what says I remember the VP candidate from that year, and I don't remember who the running guy, the presidential candidate was. Uh, oh, Jack Welch. Was that Jack I think. Welch? It was, He's on Fox all the time. It was I should Geraldine remember. Ferrero was the uh, VP candidate. Um, so I always remember from Geraldine Ferrero. Uh, but she, I mean, <laughs> oh, Mondale. Mondale. Mondale Ferrero, yeah. yeah Mondale, Walter Mondale. Um, yeah. And Walter Mondale got just cleaned, just <laughs> abused. Not as bad as Dukakis, but, I mean, still bad. Oh, no, he got worse than Dukakis he? because I, he, he, he lost every state but his home state. I thought Dukakis did too. No, he he won he won more than one. I know that. But really? my favorite my favorite quote from the final Reagan Mondale debate was when the moderator asked Reagan if his age was going to be a problem, and Reagan was like, "You know, sir, I refuse to let my opponent's youthfulness and inexperience be a talking matter in this race." And everybody laughs. Mondale laughs. And Reagan's just there of that, you know, with that smoldering smile he's got. Right. And he and Mondale he even says it in in um in interview since. He's like the moment he made that joke, 
he won the he won his reelection. I think I think it's funny that if you look at back on past presidential and vice presidential debates, you get really great quotes from each one. Like, you know, that one that you just said and then from uh the uh the vice presidential debates in 1988 um where the guy was talking to Oh my god, I'm blanking on the VP's name from 88. Bush Quail, Dan Quail. Uh, he says to Dan, Oh, Mr. Mr. Potato. Well, yeah, Mr. Potato. Uh, and he said, I knew Jack Kennedy. Jack Kennedy was a friend of mine. You are, you are no Jack Kennedy. Um, I know Clinton had one in 92. That was great. That I can't think of off the top of my head. And then each, each year you kind of have good ones. And then from this past year, from this past election, the greatest quote from this past elections, uh, debates is, Wrong. You'd be in jail. Or that. <laughs> wrong. <laughs> wrong. Wrong. <laughs> like, or, yeah, if I was president, you'd be in jail. Like, those are, yeah. that's it. Like, it's not the well thought out, <laughs> poignant poeticness of these past ones. But but, but they, they always come down to one thing. thing. It's what was what defined the narrative. And, you know, what really killed Romney, uh, you know, was when it was during the second debate, the foreign policy debate. And what I think killed him in 2012 was when Obama said the 1980s called they want their foreign policy back. Because he did to Romney what he did to uh, McCain. And it didn't. You know, it wasn't as aggressive, but it was still there. The idea was Romney is old and Romney is of the past and I'm young and I'm like you and I'm here right now. Right. When I heard him say that, I knew instantly people were going to say, you know, he's not even George Bush. He wants to take us back to like the 1950s. And then he pulls out, it wasn't even the 51% of America doesn't, no, the 47% of America doesn't like me. It was the binders full of women thing. And honestly, like Democrats, they, they started crying when they really realized that Trump was president you know, around Thanksgiving because they started all begging Mitt Romney to try and contest it or something because they were like, oh my gosh, look at what we did to Mitt Romney. If you really look at, you know, all the Republican candidates that we put up probably in the last uh, half century, like Mitt Romney was the cleanest person we put up there. Uh, Barry Goldwater is a personal role model of mine and everything else, but let's not forget, his daughter ended up being a delegate for Obama in 2008. And he made one of his kids get an abortion. We don't talk about that. By the way, he was not a fan of the religious right either. Everyone had flaws. Everyone had some stuff where it's like, this is kind of shifty shit. Now, if you're a Democrat, you'll excuse Ted Kennedy act, you know, intentionally leaving his secretary to die. somebody. Yeah, murdering somebody. You know, I thought the movie Chappaquiddick, I saw that recently. I thought that would make me feel bad for Ted Kennedy. But there's a scene where uh, where one of his uh, cousins goes back to the to the beach house where everyone was hanging out after they figured out that um, uh, Mary Jo Kopechny had died. And the first thing they say is, what do we do to help the senator? It wasn't, let's call the cops to get her body out. It was, what, do we, what can we do to help the senator? And as I'm watching this film, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, they're all complicit in murder. Yeah, yeah. Like, this makes me hate them even more. Well, actually, that's that's actually really good to hear because I didn't watch that movie because I didn't want to, like, have any sympathy for Ted Kennedy. It won't give it to you. Good. If anything, it'll be like, holy crap. That, that like, is actually this is really worse. good to hear. Because, I, like, I, I, I remember hearing about that story when I was really young. Uh, I did you probably don't know this, because why would you? My uncle used to be an editorial cartoonist. And uh, 
he had a like there was this book we had of all of his editorial cartoons and he had one of Ted Kennedy uh, cuz I think he was getting ready to run in 1980 or 1976 I don't remember which one 80 80 and it's like Ted Kennedy's presidential campaign and then it showed a car coming over a ravine and it said Chappaquiddick on it and oh that's cold I know I know he that's he, smart but that's cold he, he was kind of heartless in that in, in that time but I mean it was it was a great not as heartless as leaving your secretary at the bottom of a lake. <laughs> I mean, it, it was such a cold thing to do, but at the same time, it was inaccurate. It was it was completely accurate because as soon as Chappaquiddick came out, his presidential campaign just died, much like Mary Jo. Capitola. Uh, this this won't spoil it for you because it's based on a true story. You right. can find. I, know, I know how it is, but but like in the last scene, they actually show clips from uh, the press conference. And they're asking people, would you still vote for him for president? They're like, yeah. Yeah, I would. Everyone kills their secretary sometime. And it's just like, they they don't care. Like, they don't care. No, They really they don't. don't. They don't. And actually, that's... So, Bill Clinton, as we all know, cheated on his wife. Uh, very famously cheated on his wife. Uh, that, that's not even honestly like that's the thing I care about least. I, I know I don't. Yeah, I care about that least. He sold Arlington. He sold grave sites at Arlington Cemetery to the highest bidder. He gave the Chinese and North Koreans the components to build, um, you know, ballistic missiles. Like there's so much other stuff that people could get mad about. Agreed. But uh, so you know the Republicans get all upset about that, but the Democrats are like, oh, it doesn't matter. That's his personal life. That doesn't matter. And the Republicans are like, no, that's. He shouldn't do that. He's a president, blah, blah, blah. Fast forward to today, and it's the exact opposite argument. And it's like, yeah, but, you know, who cares? That's his personal life that he was banging out a porn star. And on both of them, I was kind of like, who cares? It's his personal life. At least the person that Trump had an affair with was hot. You know, I, I got to say, I was younger when Monica Lewinsky when the Monica Lewinsky scandal broke. And they were formidable years. And... I would have. I mean, she's not. She's not bad. She's not bad looking. No, I mean, everyone is great when you compare them to Hillary. That's that's actually except for maybe Chelsea. Yeah. Put them put them yeah. next to each other, and you go. You get to take one. It'd be like, oh god. I don't. And is it 1996 Hillary or is it today Hillary? I don't see much of a difference. <laughs> like I know, I know what she looked like in '96, but I don't really see much of a difference. I still see, like I look back and I try and give her like some type of pass. I'm like, you know, she's a human at the end of the day. And then I'm like, no, 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 no she's not. No, she, no, she's she not. Is almost as far from human as possible. Yeah, she, she, she is heartless and she is soulless and she. The simplest way to put it to anybody, she is such a terrible person, she lost to Donald Trump. <laughs> she lost a rigged election. Right. She lost I, election I almost, I almost got kicked out of um I almost got kicked out of a class one time the day after the election in twenty sixteen when I was at Liberty University. Well my professors almost kicked me out of the class for the rest of the day. Because I said, you know, I want to go ahead and, you know, I don't believe in comparing Hillary Clinton to Satan because that's offensive to Satan. And the class, you know, anywhere else that would be funny. At Liberty University, that's I was not, like, yeah, at oh Liberty, God. that's not a funny Oh, joke. God. <laughs> I, I know multiple people who went to Liberty 
And I can understand why that joke did not go over really well. I'm probably the worst person that that school ever produced. Probably. Probably. And I didn't even vote for Donald Trump. (laughs) Almost everybody else in there did, though. As I tell other Christians, if you really want to get to heaven, pay $200,000 for four years at Liberty University, get a fast pass, and then be told the only way to get through is to vote for Donald Trump or you're going to hell. I find it funny how much the Christians have just glommed on to uh, Trump because I'm like, really? This guy? This guy. This is the guy that you're like, yes, this is who Jesus wants. (laughs) I don't – I mean, I I understand that you're saying that because you have to, but really – Like, it's just us girls now. It's like, you could tell us this. It's Totally fine. Totally fine. I won't tell your secret to anybody. It's fine. Yeah. It's like like dead to rights. You'll I'll never tell. Oh, uh, yeah. So you've got so you got your book out. You're right now. You're not doing your podcast. You said you, you're taking some time off. You're working for Yao, Young Americans for Liberty. For my three viewers who don't know what that is, um, and uh, what do you what else do you have coming up on the horizon? Do you have anything new? Do you have anything fun? I, so in so between 2017 and uh, now. I mean, I was doing the podcast full time, the right. hundred plus episodes. I wrote the book. I managed a campaign. I went back to uh, uh, being a contractor for campaigns and nonprofits, and I was working on the book. And I put out a documentary about Nick Freitas, which got thousands of views and was mentioned in the Washington Post favorably from them. Ironically, that's actually quite uh, impressive. Yeah, I know they they don't like me there either. Um, Neither does the other Horseman of the Apocalypse, the Huffington Post, but that's a different story. But, um, like, I, I'm at a point where right now I'm just taking a break and I'm reassessing things. I think I want to do another book. I've been quite open about that. But, you know, I really just want to I really just want to relax for a little bit and promote my book and make some money off of it. And uh, my, my biggest thing is I've been trying to uh, – I've been going on shows, shows like yours. I've been going on radio. I've been uh, talking to student groups. Like, right now – is where I'm just offering myself as a resource to people and I'm trying to help out. And, you know, the great thing about Operation Went the Door um, at Young Americans for Liberty, which I'm currently working on, is we're helping hundreds of potential Ron Pauls, potential Thomas Masseys, future Liberty leaders get to where they need to go. We're trying to build the bench with 250 Liberty legislators within the next couple of years. And it's happening every day. We've had a total of eight victories thus far in the primaries. I mean, these are, these are actual libertarians. Like these are Liberty people. These are Liberty legislators. And I love the fact that I can do this. And, uh, you know, at Yalcon, you know, I, I sold out copies of my book. And I could have never done that a few years ago. And it's not because of me. It's because, you know, I, liberty is sexy. Like, liberty is liberty's popular. People love it because they have more fun. And, you know, fun's a big part of it. That's one of the reasons why I wrote my book. Because everyone writes uh, another libertarian manifesto every year. Or another regurgitation of Man, Economy, and State by Rothbard. I wanted to write... A book that gave a face to the mass, to the you know, to the mass of faceless hordes of libertarians. But I wanted people to laugh. And I have to say, uh, the the praise that you have for this book, uh, Jennifer Grossman, CEO of the Atlas Society, Dan Woos, 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 Woos. Thank you. I, I don't know. Uh, how, I know the book, but I didn't know how to pronounce his name. Uh, 
Good, good gum, bad guy. Alec Merst, who I love that guy. That guy's amazing. He's one of the greatest speakers. Uh, Alex Merst, uh, he is the vice chair of the Libertarian Party. He's now, now the vice chair of the Libertarian Party. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Tim Prouse of the Tim Prouse podcast and Dallas Jenkins. Like, those are some good names to have uh, saying that you've got a good good product here. Those are just the ones in the book. Right. It also received praise, and, you know, I'm just going to go on a, t- on a tangent for a minute. It received praise from, believe it or not, Ben Shapiro. Really? Michael Knowles. Okay. Um, Sean Tima from Young Americans for Liberty. Josh Withrow from Conservative Review. Um, uh, uh, Autumn Price from Rare.com. I mean, it's just, and folks, you could see it online, but I mean, I've, I've received reviews from uh, Students for Liberty North America, uh, Daily Wire, Lone Conservative. I mean, people that would not typically, you know, be associated with a libertarian book and then some of the usual suspects, they, they liked this because what I think the book reached to a lot of people was to find the common humanity and why libertarianism is what it is at the end of the day because what it is it's a philosophy based on peace its principles look out for the betterment of everybody and at the end of the day libertarians they don't want to tell you how how to run your life but what they do want is they just want to see at the table because for so long we weren't even allowed that and you know because i make fun of myself quite often throughout the book i think that made them take a little bit of sympathy on me so i've had everyone from libertarian party members to republicans to staunch conservatives to staunch um you know atheists christians everybody like this book is a book for everybody and that's the one thing i wanted to achieve and people were kind of shocked you know dallas jenkins is a is a good friend of mine and his dad wrote the left behind series Really? Dallas, yeah. Know... Yeah, Jerry I Jenkins. I did not know that. Yeah. So he wrote the Left Behind series. Dallas is a, is a film producer. He's working on a, on a show called The Chosen right now, which is about the life of Christ and the people around him. It's an amazing show. Go check out The Chosen on YouTube and other places on Facebook if you can after this. But, you know, he, he did a film which is hilarious called The Resurrection of Gavin Stone with, uh, you know, Flint from Scrubs and... Uh, a couple of guys from Agents of Shield, a lot of lot of great cast in that film. But you know what people don't know about Dallas is he's a very I, staunch I, I, libertarian. You mentioned the greatest show of all time, Scrubs. Yep. You know the janitor? Oh, Neil Flynn. Yeah, Neil Flynn. Uh, he was in that show. He was in uh, he was in the movie The Resurrection of Gavin Stone. But you know Dallas directed that. But Dallas is a big libertarian, and people don't really know that. So I was really honored to get. Uh, his input in that because what i want to show people as well with those reviews is that all those people are extremely creative people and it's not just the people in politics that are affecting things it's also people in just everyday life but you know culture is a big thing and dallas is one of my role models because he really promotes his virtue and his ideas and his beliefs through culture through the through the medium of film and his other writing i mean his father's series as well left behind uh, left a profound impact on me as a as a young adult so, so, I mean, this, this this book is a book for everybody, and I'm, sur- like, honestly, I'm surprised people like it. Today, and I could break this now, yesterday I actually made a post on Facebook thanking people for helping me break 800 copies. A few hours ago, I broke 1,000. Nice. That's excellent. That's such a good feeling. Yeah, and I self-published this thing, too. Right. I mean, the book is about something no one wants to talk about. It was self-published. It was competing against a lot of other books that were supposed to be better. And it's from somebody that's never written before. So everything that was not supposed to happen happens, but it's not because of me. 
it's because people found something that they could read and learn but enjoy as well. Because the biggest fault in America is that we can't laugh anymore. It's very laughter, laughter has become criminal behavior. Yes, especially because we're normally laughing at something that people find to be criminally bad. <laughs> You, you said, said it, not me. Uh, but it's you know, true, my, my though. People are, yeah, people are like just, right. You, you make a joke and people are like, oh, that's hate speech. That's racist. That's, you know, whatever. And it's, no, it's a joke. It's just a joke. Just, yeah. It, yeah I don't, that, that's, that's one of the reasons why the number one person I make fun of in the book is me. Like, I mean, I, and you do. I, you make I'm fun the of biggest, yourself I'm the biggest punching bag in the book. Yeah, you are. And you make fun of yourself a lot in this book, which I do appreciate because self-depreciating humor is one of the finest forms of humor, actually. And one of my favorite ones to use. Uh, it also gets sympathy points, which I like as well. Uh, <laughs> as a writer, I think that that did help me a bit. Yeah. Because, you know, uh, I, you know, growing up, I entered writing contests as a kid and stuff. And, I, I always did fiction. Um, blogging as a blogger helped me get ready and get me prepared for the book. But, you know, my biggest thing is I don't just want to tell you a story. I want you to be part of the story. Right. And even though people can't be me, they can identify with me. You know, in the book, I talk about a lot of mistakes I've made. In the book, I, I talk about a lot of wrong assertions I made. In the book, I talk about a lot of things that people really uh, really may have gone through. Uh, you know, uh, Caitlin Grimes from Students for Liberty, she's the North American SFL communications director. Uh, you know, one of her favorite parts of the book was she was talking about all the students, or I was talking about all the students that were crammed in the hotel room as they were going to a conference. You're not in SFL or y'all unless you've been crammed in a hotel room going to a conference at some point. And I talk about a lot of journeys that a lot of people have been on and a lot of inside things where it's like unless, you, unless you've been there, you won't know it. But that got a lot of uh, laugh points from a lot of people who are libertarians who have been in those situations. Because, you know, very often a lot of our role models, like let, let's be honest, a lot of our liberty role models are in media or they're dead. That's just it. That's actually you, you, that's you, very true. Yeah, like you can't really relate to a lot of them. Right. It's like, I, you know, it's like I really like the, you know, obviously Massey, uh, Massey Amash, uh, Rand Paul, Mike Lee. Like I like them. Uh, but uh, but here's the thing. I could never relate to Thomas Massey. No. He's a genius who built his house. Yeah, I, uh, I could never. I can't relate. fix my car. No. I could never relate to that guy. Like, I'd love to sit down and, like, have a non-alcoholic beverage with him at some point. But I couldn't relate to him because, yeah, he'd be like, yeah, so I built the generator out of sticks and this coconut. It was and, just that easy. Right. And then I would be like, okay, good for – oh, man. Good for you. I got myself a paper cut today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to hit backspace a few times, and after that, I got nothing. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that was the, that was, I think something that I didn't realize about the book that people liked until they started bringing it up to me. And I realized, I think that was one of the biggest things because it's a journey that so many of us go on and sometimes it's a, it's a thankless efforts as an activist. Sometimes you really wonder if this is really worth it when you're crammed in a hotel room with several other people. And, you know, that, that was one thing I really wanted to show people. It's like this this liberty movement, it's not about one person. It's not about one, uh, you know, cult following. It's about you and your pursuit of what you want. And what is what you want? You want a freer society. 
whatever reasons you want that for your own. But you got to be able to relate to people. Uh, you know, there's a one thing I'll say to really kind of, you know, float my own ego. I don't think it's the best libertarian book ever written, but my, my God, if it's not the funniest libertarian book you've ever read, I don't know what is. That's actually, that's actually going to be very accurate. Uh, cause I've read a lot of libertarian books and they are very dry. And this one I, I was laughing at out, like audibly laughing out loud, like actually LOLing as opposed to not LOLing when most people say it. Um, like, Thank you so much for coming. I do appreciate it. Um, keep us. Uh, do you have a website that you can pitch really quick? Yeah, go ahead and check me out. RWMartinez.com. That's where you can get, uh, you know, all the updates on the book and everything else. And please go ahead and get the book. It's on uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. You can go ahead and get it in printer ebook format. And I don't, I don't know if you watched uh, Muddy Waters of Freedom on Tuesday, but uh, my co-host resigned because he's got to go work on some stuff. Um, and I'm actually looking for people to fill in, and I'd love for you to fill in at some point. I, I would be honored. I'd love that, man. We'd have a blast. Oh, yeah, definitely looking forward to it. I'll get, to, I'll get together with you after, uh, after this, and we can kind of figure out like when would be a good time to get you on. Um, I'm going to be trying out a bunch of different stuff to figure out the best format that we can do for it. Um, but again, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, let me do the outro and then hang out for a minute and, uh, I'll talk to you a little bit more in just a second. Sounds good, man. Cool. Well, thank you all for tuning in. I do appreciate it. Uh, thank you to Rimzo Martinez for coming on his book. Stay away from the libertarians is available. Uh, you can get it on his website, uh, rwmartinez.com. Uh, you can follow us on facebook.com backslash muddied waters of freedom. You can follow us on Twitter at muddied underscore waters or on Instagram at muddied waters of freedom. Uh, we are on YouTube, but you have to actually like search for M uh, yeah. MW media, MW media. Uh, as soon as we get to a certain amount of subscribers, I can actually give us a URL. So go and subscribe today so I can give you a real name. Again, thank you all so much, and sit back down at your typewriters, pick up your pens, pick up your pencils, because writing is the biggest way that we can make a difference. I am, I am swinging from a seven-story window, throwing parties in a ten-by-seven cell. It's a standing the legs I'll go to convince the whole damn world I don't need anybody's help. Yeah, I am
Hey. 